This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Well, welcome to another edition of the Saving Grace podcast. I'm your host, Simon Eastwick. It's exciting to have uh, people join us for these podcasts, and uh, today we have the privilege of having Dr. Charlie Bing with us. Welcome. Well, thank you, Simon. It's always good to be at the Free Grace Alliance Conference, and especially to be here with you on your podcast. Maybe we just start, Charlie, by just having you tell us just a little bit about yourself to, so the listening audience kind of gets an understanding sort of who you are, what your background is. Okay, well, I don't know how far back you want to go. Okay. My grandparents immigrated from China, and uh, I had a son, and he was my father, who married an American lady, so I'm half Chinese ethnically, but raised in the United States, in the Maryland, born in Washington, D.C., raised in Maryland area. And uh, even though I had some church attendance experience and religious experience, I didn't become a Christian or understand the gospel until the age of 19. Hmm. So at the age of 19, I became a Christian, became sure of my salvation, and had a voracious appetite for the Bible. And that caused me to look around for resources. Right down the street from where I was living was Washington Bible College. So I dipped my toes in there with a couple classes to see what it was like, and I could not believe how these people could explain the Bible in such depth. And Mm. I was hooked. So I ended up going to and graduating from Washington Bible College. And then a lot of the books we used there as reference books were from Dallas Theological Seminary Authors. That took me to Dallas Theological Seminary, where I got my master's degree and uh, went on to get my PhD there. And since since uh, since graduating from there, you've, you've pastored some churches, or you've been involved in different ministries? Yeah, all along the way I've been active in ministry, which is good, because that teaches you how to what to study, I think, to help you in your ministry, and keeps it practical. So I, I worked as a youth pastor in Maryland, and then uh, when I came to you Texas. I worked as a youth pastor in my early seminary days. And then uh, about the time I started my doctoral program, a, a reason, uh, a need arose for a, a church teaching plant, um, a Bible church. And so we started a Bible church in 1986. And I pastored, I told them I'd stay there three years to get, help get them started because I had more of an evangelistic ministry in mind. Mm. I ended up staying 19 years. But everything was going well and fine, and we were friends, and they loved me, and I loved them. So in 2005, I stepped down mm. and to devote myself to Grace Life Ministries, which I had started, which is devoted to sharing the gospel around the world. We say sharing the gospel of grace with the unsaved and the grace of the gospel with the saved. So I've been doing that since 2005, and it's been, kept me extremely busy speaking around the world, teaching pastors uh, and conferences in the United States and writing. Mm developing resources to help people. Well, it's, it's, a, it's fascinating ministry, and, and you know, I, we were listening last night at, uh, at, at one of the sessions uh, to, to an individual that was sharing about uh, his country, and, where, and uh, the fact that you'd been able to visit there, and the impact that you'd been able to have in Ghana, I believe it was. Yes. And uh, Emmanuel was sharing with us about, about that visit. So it was really interesting for me to sit there and listen, hear his testimony, but then see how you and others have really impacted that area. Yeah, the message of grace has changed people around the world uh, wherever we bring it, and I'm, I'm humbled by that. But uh, these, most of these countries, and this includes America, most of these countries are locked in legalism. They're trying to keep a long list of things to do mm. in order to be saved. It steals the joy from them. 
It puts a harsh tone in their churches. And when they discover grace and the freedom that it brings, it puts a smile on their face. It literally changes their life. I have no doubt but that some of these pastors, even themselves, get saved. I have no way of knowing that or accounting for that statistically uh, because we don't even try. But they leave changed people after our training. So, so you're you go from sort of conference to conference and 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 sort of lead grace seminars. Is that sort of what in America it's mostly a conference ministry or church ministry okay. and uh, or retreat ministry. Overseas, I try to focus on training pastors because I can't learn the culture and the language like they already know it. But right. if I can help them understand the gospel and share it clearly, one of the ways we have done that is uh, with our Grace Life Institute, a four year program of twelve courses. We go once a year to a country and teach three courses, which grounds them in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, Bible study methods, soteriology, and the basics of what it would take to understand the gospel. And in its context, New Testament survey, Old Testament survey, not a comprehensive training, but for these, most of these pastors who have not had an opportunity to get formal training, it grounds them in the basics and helps them understand the gospel. I had the privilege of looking at one of your seminars that you did a number of years ago uh, at uh, at Faith Bible Church, and uh, you were, I think, drawing upon um, also a book that you wrote, which you have with you, which is uh, Grace, Salvation, and uh, Discipleship, and um, it, it's a it's a really interesting book, and and the whole concepts that you put in there. Um, it also, I mean, folks that are listening to this can't see the cover. I wonder if you would just introduce the book a bit and the concepts and then just the cover and how you got there, because it really kind of tells a story in and of itself. Yeah, the book is called Grace, Salvation, Discipleship. The subtitle is How to Understand Some Difficult Bible Passages. And um, the, this book emerged actually from the questions that we get when we're training people. Okay. Uh, you tend to get the same questions about the same passages, because people understand on the one hand that salvation is free, it's a free gift, that Christ paid for it, and yet there are so many passages that seem to demand works from us Mm. and promise some kind of reward, and often that's considered eternal life. So it ends up with a very confused view of the gospel. And by teaching this eight, separating them into A, truth, referring to salvation, and B, truth, referring to discipleship truth, and by that I mean Christian growth truth, we're able to give people a model that helps them separate um, these these passages and look at these passages and ask the question, is this talking to or about salvation or talking to Christians about Christian growth discipleship issues? And everywhere I began to teach this idea, people responded. Someone told me yesterday, he said, that A truth, B truth, it just gets in my mind. I just look at the scriptures differently. Yeah. And I tell people it's one of the most important, probably the most important distinction you can make when you read the New Testament is to understand that there's this difference between salvation and Christian growth, and that the Bible has passages referring to both, and you need to be able to distinguish which ones are which. And it makes Bible interpretation so much easier. So that's why the subtitle is How to Understand Some Difficult Bible Passages. It's not that I don't like to call it a method. I might call it an approach, but I'm just showing people how to use the context to see whether the passage is talking to unbelievers about salvation or to believers about Christian growth. So I'm going to give our listeners a, sort of a heads up on some of the uh, 
the, the content that you might be covering, you're going to list a number of things sort of under A truth and maybe a number of things under B truth. So if you are listening to this podcast, you might want to grab a piece of paper. You might want to create two columns and you might want to call the one on the left A truth and the one on the right B truth um, because it is a fascinating way to... Uh, to, to approach scripture and and you and you can leave this podcast with sort of a an understanding uh, about uh, about this approach um, you know in the seminar that um, you 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 led I saw you run an ad uh, it was a, a car ad and I found it fascinating I wonder if you sort of give a, a highlight to our listeners and let them understand sort of what that ad was about and, and and what you were trying to point out by it oh okay well this this was a commercial by Audi it caught my attention that uh, there's a woman, she pulls up to a diesel pump, which are at all gas stations next to the gasoline pump, and she gets the green-handled diesel pump and begins to put it in her car, and it shows a bunch of people screaming in the background, no, no, stop, stop, <laughs> stop, stop. Finally, somebody says, it's diesel. And she says, I know. <laughs> and Audi is simply saying that they've made a car that runs on diesel. Right. Uh, but from what my point is, when I use that in the message, it's very important to make distinctions in life between d- things like diesel and gasoline, because if you don't, you will severely damage your car. If you don't make distinctions when it comes to the gospel and Bible interpretation, you can severely damage the gospel and severely damage people's assurance of salvation. And it has so many other repercussions. So, you know, I I use the illustration in the book about Mark, Mark Twain saying, words make a difference. There's a great difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Right. Um, so we have to be careful about uh, seeing these distinctions. We do it every day in life, and uh, we have to do it in the Bible as well. We can't assume that one word means the same thing in all places, or that Jesus is, or that the Bible was written to unbelievers in every place, or to believers in every place. Distinctions are very important. Okay. That was uh, I found that ad to be really uh, just poignant. That the points that it made and the, the sort of expressions on people's faces, and then the relief when they found out that oh yeah, this is an appropriate fuel in this case to put into this car. Um, and and then I I look at I look at sort of where you you took that in the scripture that you sort of you started applying that to scripture and how you said you know it's really really important distinctions and that that word distinctions is probably one of is sort of what you actually have in the title of, the, of your slide. You called it the A-truth, B-truth distinction. Because without that, you're right, uh, Scripture can be misinterpreted. So I wondered if you could just, Charlie, start to walk us through just a little bit of, of that A-truth, what you would put under A-truth, and then uh, a little bit under B-truth and, and, and see where we go. Yeah, sure. I've used this chart everywhere I go, and you can make it longer or shorter but uh, on the left side column, I label A truth, and on the right side column would be B truth. And here's what we're talking about. On the left column, A truth refers to salvation truth. Those are passages like John 3.16 that tell someone how to be, sa- how to be saved. Mm. On the right side would be discipleship truth. And those would be, would be for example, the commands to everyday Christians to uh, love one another, to honor your government, to pay your taxes, to not judge one another, and many, many, many commands. We know that those were written to Christians. Uh, on the A-truth side, uh, if we want to put it in theological terms, we're talking about the doctrine of justification. Justification meaning you are declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. It's an instantaneous one-time event. 
On the right side, the theological term would be sanctification. Now, sanctification is not a lifetime of, of it's not a one-time event. It's a lifetime process right. by which we grow and become more like Jesus Christ. And it has its ups and downs. So sanctification is a process. It's very important to distinguish between justification and sanctification. Um, they are related, but they are distinct. And, for example, on the A-truth side, we would talk about uh, spiritual birth. You must be born again, mm-hmm. John chapter 3. But on the B-truth side, we would be Bible verses talking about spiritual growth. Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's a difference between being born, that's an instantaneous event, even in, our, in the physical sense, but then there's a lifetime of growth that has to take place after that. You can't grow unless you're born, so they're related, but they're distinct. Mm. An- another uh, thing we would segregate or uh, distinguish would be the relationship with God established by our salvation. Mm-hmm. That would be an A-truth. Uh, we establish a relationship. So when a baby is born, I now have a relationship to that baby as its father. There's a new relationship. And then we would distinguish that between fellowship with with God on the right side of the column or on the B-truth. And just because I have a baby, let's say that I have a son and I have a relationship, doesn't mean I'm going, I always get along with him. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole relational side to that, and it depends on how how we relate to one another uh, and develop the intimacy of our relationship as father and son. So there are Bible truths that talk about us being born into the family of God and ha- and having this new relationship with Jesus as our father, but then there are Bible truths that also speak about how to maintain that fellowship with him. It can be lost through sin or mm-hmm. rebellion. Or it can be enhanced with love and obedience to his commands. And and many times people will confuse those two issues together. uh, But we have to keep in in mind the establishment of the relationship is distinct from maintaining or enjoying that relationship in a word we use called fellowship with God. And another simple way that I sometimes talk about these issues uh, is the gift and the prize. Okay. The gift is the free gift of eternal life, and the prize is when God holds us accountable for how we use our lives and rewards us accordingly. And the Bible is full of references to uh, laying up treasures in heaven, where, uh, crowns, and um, uh, uh, reigning with Christ, and many, many other rewards. And it's amazing how often we see that. I was talking to someone this morning how uh, we see rewards everywhere in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So the gift, for example, in John chapter 4, when he talks to the woman at the well, an unsaved person, he tells her uh, that if you just ask him, Jesus will give you living water. There's the free gift. Right. He demands nothing of her. He reminds her that he knows she's sleeping with, with or has slept with six men, but he demands nothing of the woman at the well. On the other hand, in the second half of the chapter, after the disciples arrive, he talks about them earning wages as they reap a harvest for eternal life. And he talks about the work that he wants them to do, and he promises them wages. So on the one hand, the unsaved person is promised a gift. On the other hand, the saved disciples are told that they will be paid wages for their labors. He uses that as an example. There's a difference right there in John chapter 4 between the gift and the prize. 
And it's amazing to see that distinction, and but you have to see it to understand John chapter four. Well, that's a that's a great that's a great list. Let me let me recap that for our listeners. You've got on the a truth side, you have salvation, justification, spiritual birth, relationship with God, and the gift. And on the b truth side, sort of right opposite that same list, is discipleship, sanctification, spiritual growth fellowship with God and the prize. And and you're right. I mean that list could go on on either side. You could you could probably spend hours and hours talking about uh, different different aspects of a truth and b truth. But I think you're right. It does really help you when you um, look at uh, a text now and you say, well, well, which 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 side is that on? How what sort of lens should I be looking at that through? So the next sort of area that I'd like to just discuss uh, is what enables uh, someone to look at the same text and draw a very different conclusion? And I wonder if you could share with us sort of the, the right way to approach uh, texts. Yeah, I think that many people, uh, yeah, I say this after studying the Bible formally and institutionally for 15 years in college and seminary, is that many people who are untrained in Bible study skills will simply usually echo or parrot what they hear someone say right. without thinking it through. And, um, you know, our, our task is to be better than that. First uh, Timothy 2.15 tells us to study, to show ourselves approved, workmen mm-hmm. who rightly divides the word of truth. So it takes study. Um, it's a little bit of a lazy approach just to take a traditional interpretation and not question it. And, and, and yet many people do that. And we find, well, you know, that's, is that really what it's saying? We should always ask that question. Is that really what it's saying? And the main way to get at the way, at what it is saying is to look at the context. Mm-hmm. What is the context of that? Uh, you know, for example, often is quoted in Matthew chapter 18, where two or three are, are, are gathered together, whatever you agree upon, you know, it will be done by my Father in heaven. That's a paraphrase. Um, and that's used often as a promise for praying with two or three people about something. It'll be done. But the context for that, if we back up and, and see in uh, Matthew 18, is talking about church discipline. And so when, it's implying that when church leaders get together and agree on something about disciplining a, a rebellious person in their, in their midst, that, that God will honor that form of discipline. So it is a really uh, quite different meaning from what traditionally is taught or just quoted by people and unthinkingly accepted. So a lot of that is just traditional uh, views that are not questioned. And then there is a difference in uh, theology. Mm -hmm. Uh, People tend to see things, everybody does, myself included, through a theological lens that colors the way we see things. Our task is to try to get outside of our theology and look at things objectively. Right. But if you're trained up in a system, um, you tend to see things through that system. People ask me, uh, they say, Charlie, how did you come to a free grace position? Mm-hmm. My answer is this. Uh, I never arrived or had any moment of uh, uh, bright lights where I came to a free grace position. I simply studied the Bible and wanted to know what it understood and pieces just fell into place and made sense to me. I probably had teachers who of all different brands of theology, but I would study to see if the scriptures said what they were teaching. And, and when I did, and let the sp- scriptures speak for themselves in context, 
you can't help but, in my opinion, come out with a uh, what we would call a dispensational uh, and free grace position on on a lot of these on all of these passages. So it uh, the free grace position that we're talking about and distinguishing between a truth and b truth or salvation and discipleship uh, depends on a literal grammatical interpretation of the scriptures and trying to get outside of our theology. And then it also depends on good Bible study methods. So mm-hmm. it's important that everybody understands good Bible study methods. And of course, I'm not even going to try to talk about Bible study methods here because that's that's like a two-semester course. Or <laughs> it's a long course. It's a long course, and many books have been written about it. Right. But, you know, we always say the number one, the, the three most important rules in Bible study are context, context, context. Okay. If a person knows that they can read something and look at the context, and by that we mean we talk about circles of context. Was it is it in the Old Testament or New Testament? Was it written to the Jews or to the church? And then what is the book saying? Who is the book written by? Who is the book written to? Mm-hmm. And then what is the paragraph saying? How does it fit into the flow of the book? And then what are the words and sentences around the passage we're trying to interpret? And finally, what are the words in the passage itself saying? Are there figures of speech? And what do the words mean? So Bible study looks at these different circles, narrowing circles of uh, context. And, you know, I'm convinced that the Bible was written to be understood, not by theologians and Bible teachers, but by the average person. But the average person can't be lazy. They have to read the context because that's how the original readers received it. Right. They read it as a letter or a book, not as a verse just pulled out of its context. You've got to have that uh, intellectual curiosity to, to dig um, into the Word, for sure. So if you're, if you're listening for the first time to our podcast, uh, I just want to remind you that... Uh, you know, we have months and months of podcasts available for you to go back and listen to. So if this is the first time you're hearing the words grace, and the first time you're really starting to grapple with what it means to be a believer, and to uh, understand uh, that uh, grace brings joy to your life, and that your your walk with God can be one that is, is a joyful one, I just encourage you to go back and listen to our other podcasts uh, right from the very beginning, at which lay the foundation. Uh, for this. Um, but our guest today is Charlie Bing, and he is walking us through this A-truth, B-truth concept and the distinctions that um, are that we should be uh, delving into and, and recognizing as we read uh, Scripture. So Charlie, would you give us an example of what happens when we don't see the distinctions uh, between sort of A-truth and B-truth? Uh, what happens to the gospel? What can happen to it? Yeah, if you're specifically asking what happens to the gospel, serious things happen to the gospel. Uh, it, it, we change it. It becomes a different gospel. If you, you just think about this, if you bring Christian truth, things that you have to do in obedience to Christ, into a gospel of free salvation, then you, it is no longer free. Uh-huh. So essentially that's what happens. For example, let's use as an example Luke chapter 9, because it's very succinct. In uh, verse 23, where Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, now that term, by the way, come after me, is a discipleship invitation. It's different from the term, an invitation to come to me. And I've searched this out in the scriptures, in the gospels, when Jesus says, come to me, he's speaking of coming to me for salvation. When he says, come after or follow after me, he's inviting people to discipleship. 
But he says, if anybody wants to come after me as a disciple, we would say, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So he, he gives three conditions there for being a disciple. Uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny yourself essentially means say no to yourself, say yes to God. Deny yourself pleasures, deny yourself sin, deny yourself good things for the sake of serving God. And then he says, take up your cross. Essentially what he's saying is, if you want to follow me, be willing to die for me or be willing to suffer for me. Bring your own bullet. And then the third thing is follow me. And I, I think this refers to a new lifestyle of living for him and with him in an obedience to him. Now, if we now if we take that as salvation truth, as many authors and commentators do, what have we just told them they have to do to be saved? We've told them that they have to deny themselves all, all sins and pleasures and ambitions and, and good things and bad things. Well, okay, that's quite a demand. Mm. So... My, my question would be, how would I know then that I have salvation? How do I know when I have denied myself enough? Hmm. Okay, I deny myself keeping some of my income, but how much do I keep and how much do I not? Or the second thing, um, take up your cross and follow me. In fact, uh, Luke says, take up his cross daily. So I have to be willing to suffer for Jesus Christ daily or die for him daily in order to be his disciple. Uh, if I have to do that daily, then how can I know for sure that I am saved once and for all if I have to do something daily? And then the third thing, follow me, which is very an open-ended invitation to keep his commands and to obey him. But how do I know if I have consistently followed him? Some days I feel like I do, and some days I feel like I don't. So what happens is we take these commands or demands for discipleship and say that they're the conditions of salvation and a person immediately because it now becomes human performance a human performance based salvation we cannot know for sure that we're saved that's the tragic um, consequence of confusing the gospel and a truth and b truth whereas a truth would said that jesus christ paid the price for you right he died on his cross and all we must do is uh, believe that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. He's a living Savior. He promises me eternal life if I simply believe in him. That's the simple gospel that saves us. But when I, I am then told that I, well, you have to deny yourself. You have to be willing to suffer. You have to obey and follow him in your lifestyle. Suddenly, what I knew for sure is not so sure anymore because I don't know if I'm following him enough I don't know if I'm willing to suffer for him enough. And then it's usually taught you need to do that all your life long to prove that you're truly saved. Hmm. So when we depart from the true gift and, uh, and a truth of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, we go into a whole uh, life of self-examination and subjectivity. We take our eyes off of Christ. We put them on ourselves. And the question no longer is, what did God do for me? The question is, did I do enough for him? Right. And no one ever feels like we've done enough for God. So it, it steals the assurance of salvation from so many people. It's a tragic result of not making these distinctions and interpreting the Bible and seeing these distinctions in the Bible. Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a great uh, example. And for this particular podcast, we're going to have to wrap it up here. But Charlie, I'd like to have you back uh, next week. 
and uh, I'd like to be able to continue this conversation because I think it's so important uh, for us to even develop this a little bit further. But thank you for being on this episode, and uh, we look forward to having you back. Look forward to be with you. You might be asking yourself how you can find out a little bit more about Grace School of Theology, how you might be able to partner with us. To do that, please visit partnerwithgrace.org. There you'll find all kinds of different ways you can partner with us. Whether you're looking to help us buy something specific, you'll find the Grace Registry. If you're looking to make a one-time or an ongoing donation, you'll find a very easy way to do that by going to the partnerwithgrace.org website. Thank you in advance for your prayerful consideration. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.